great to be appreciated? Say yes. And isn't it a bummer when you're not? I do not cease to give thanks for who? For you, Paul says, I'm giving thanks for you. Paul's saying, I appreciate you. But he's not just saying, I appreciate you. He's saying, Jesus appreciates you. When we start feeling unappreciated, we tend to grumble. Well, we tend to compete with other people for appreciation. We tend to get bitter because we're not appreciated. Your identity should affect your activity. Paul's trying to help us understand our identity in Christ. And God laid it on Paul's heart to write this letter of encouragement and appreciation to the church in Ephesus. So not only is Paul saying, I appreciate you, he's saying, Jesus appreciates you. morning don't you love a good rescue story you know when somebody gets rescued you hear about something something gets rescued and and if you're a pet lover how many guys are pet lovers pet lovers how many of you have ever rescued a dog or a cat you've done that okay if you if you ever think about doing a rescue uh, of a dog or a cat let me just warn you when you go to their websites and stuff they know how to rope you in there's no such thing as just kind of browsing. You know, they'll, they'll put up pictures like this, you know, with all these different dogs and cats. And it says, waiting for forever homes. And, and uh, they, they have looks on their faces like, save me. You know, that's just like what they're saying. And, and uh, I just want to say that, notice I picked a picture that had dogs and cats in it. <laughs> Thro- I, I threw you cat lovers a bone this morning. No pun intended. But, uh, and then, and then if, you know, they'll put commercials. You've seen these commercials on TV for like pet rescue, dog rescue, and they always have a song that goes with it. You know what I'm talking about? The, the song? In the arms of the angel, when that song comes on, my kids go, turn the channel, turn the channel. And they got all these dogs and cats just going, you know, saying, save me. And then, and then sometimes they'll put the picture of the pet up there and they'll put their name. You know, this is Sasha. She loves children, Frisbees, and Jesus. <laughs> and if you don't rescue her, she's dead by Tuesday. And you're like, no, we got to get Sasha. And, and then if you look around their website enough, they'll put a picture of like a family like a year later. Like this is a family that rescued a dog. And then this is the family, you know, a year later. And, and this is the... The, the forever family, the forever home of this pet, and this dog is now in doggy heaven. It's well taken care of, you know, and it's been rescued. Unlike that family that left it for dead on the side of the road, it's been, this one's been rescued. Well, um, we rescued a couple of pets, and uh, I want to meet you to meet a couple of members of the Dameron family that you guys may not have met. Uh, these are our two rescued dogs. Uh, a couple of families couldn't keep them. Uh, this is Bella, our Basset Hound, and Lola, our Silky Terrier, and that used to be my chair yeah used to be this is where they are most of the time and you can see over here on the right Bella our basset hound if you look really close she's our spiritual dog she's praying you see that right there she's that's that she's praying we've taught her well that's our spiritual dog but we we love a good rescue story and I think one of the reasons we love a good rescue story is because that's the story of the Bible the, the story of the Bible is about a rescue that's the heart of God the Bible tells us that before we came to faith in Christ, we needed to be saved. We needed to be rescued, that there was a death sentence on our lives spiritually, and we couldn't save ourselves. We were hopeless and helpless because we were sinners, and we needed a Savior to rescue us, to put us in our forever home, the home in heaven, and, and our forever family, the family of God. And that's what Paul is going to be talking about today in Ephesians chapter 2. If you haven't turned there already in your Bibles, your mobile devices, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 472. 
if you're using one of the provided Bibles. And Paul is going to continue to talk to us about our identity in Christ. Um, we've called this series, Who Do You Think You Are? Learning who we are in Christ. And today, Paul's going to teach us that our identity today is this. I am saved. Uh, we, we've been saved. We've been rescued for those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ. And this is important that we understand this because Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, he's going he's to contrast the two different options about how people are spiritually saved. There are two options concerning salvation. He compares these back and forth. One option is this. It's works. One option of salvation is works. And this is what all religions apart from Christianity teach. That if you want to be saved, if you want to be rescued, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to have eternal life, then you need to do these things and don't do these things. And it's all about good deeds and works. The religion of Buddhism says that uh, you must say no to certain desires. And that's what saves you. The religion of Confucianism says education, self-reflection, living a moral life, that's what saves you. Hinduism says detach from your separated ego, make an effort to live uh, with the divine, and that's what saves you. Islam says live a good life of good deeds, and that's what saves you. Even Orthodox Judaism, where Christianity came from, says keep the, keeping the law, keeping all the Old Testament law and commandments, that's what saves you. And it's as if, you know, you go to heaven and you stand at the gates and God says, why should I let you in? Most religions would say, well, it's about what you did or didn't do. It's as if God has a scale in heaven and he puts all your good on one side and your bad on the other. And if your good outweighs the bad, you get in. If not, bummer for you. And, and, and that's what religions of the world teach, that you're saved by your, your works. When it comes to being saved, one option of how you're saved and rescued and salvation is works, what you do and don't do. Here's the other option. It's the Christianity option. It's the option of the Bible that Paul's going to talk to us about. And that is that we're not saved and rescued by works, but we're saved by grace. You sang about it over and over this morning. That was in, intentional. We're saved by grace. The word grace simply means unmerited favor. It means we didn't do anything to gain it or, or get it or to, to deserve it. It was, it was the favor, unmerited favor of God, God's grace, something he did for us. I, I've told you guys before, a good way to remember the word grace is kind of an anachronym of the letters, God's riches at Christ's expense. That, that it's about what Jesus did for us when we couldn't do anything for ourselves spiritually to rescue us and save us. Paul is going to tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. So Christianity says we are not saved by our works, we're saved by the finished work of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And, you know, people talk to me sometimes and they ask about all the different religions in the world and all the different beliefs, and it can be very confusing, and there's so many different, you know, labels and names and all that. And I, I try to simplify it. I tell people this. There's really only two religions in the world or belief systems, saved by works, which is most all religions of the world, or saved by grace, which is the message of Christianity in the Bible. It's one of those two. And, and you know, we should understand this because when uh, the angel came to Joseph and told him, you, you know, that Mary is going to have a son... And, he, she, and the angel said to, to Joseph, that son, you're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to be a savior. The name Jesus means God is our savior, that, that he's salvation. So Jesus alone can save. Jesus alone can rescue. You know, a lot of times people talk today about, well, it's important that you have faith. And we certainly believe in faith, but faith is only as good as the faith, what you have your faith in. That person, that object. And the Bible says there's only one kind of faith that is saving faith, that is rescuing faith. And there's only one person that you can have that faith in. And that's Jesus Christ. 
There's only one name the Bible says, uh, uh, you know, given among men under heaven that you can be saved. It's the name of Jesus. So Paul is going to make it clear for us today in Ephesians 2. We're saved, we're rescued by grace through faith. Now that identity, understanding today, who do you think you are? Well, Paul says, let me tell you who you are. If you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're saved. That's your identity. I am saved. That identity raises some questions. And Paul is going to anticipate, as a good pastor, these three questions. And he's going to help answer them this morning. So what does it mean, I am saved? First, first question that he answers is this. Saved from what? I'm saved, okay, what am I saved from? I've actually had conversations with people where I've been trying to share my faith and witness to them and bring them to Christ. And I've said, well, are you saved? You know, we're used to that. That's a, a Christian Bible word. But they're like, am I saved? I didn't know I needed to be saved. I didn't know I was in danger. I didn't know I was in trouble. What, what do I need to be saved from? You know, if you're drowning, you know you need, to, you need a lifeguard. You know, if you're in a fire, you need the fire department. You know, if there's an intruder, you need law enforcement. But spiritually, what do we need to be saved from? When you say that to people, you know, are you saved? You need to be saved. Saved from what? And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, in this first few verses, is going to tell us what we need to be saved from. Now, this is, this is so cool how Paul does this, because for those of us who are saved... He's going to tell us what our past was like before Jesus rescued and saved us, which is, ought to bring a greater appreciation to what he did for us. But for those people, and maybe some of you that are in this room this morning, you say, well, saved from what? What do I need to be saved from? It's going to tell you your spiritual condition until you come to Christ and he rescues you. So this is a very important spiritual passage and where we are in Christ or if we're not in Christ. And so what are we saved from? First thing Paul tells us here, and this is one of my favorite passages we're studying today about salvation because it's so clear. Paul tells us we're saved from death. First thing we're saved from is we're saved from death. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 1. Paul says, in you he made what, church? He made us alive, which means we were dead. And he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. The first thing he saved us from was death. Whether we realize it or not, before we're rescued and saved by Jesus, we are physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. We literally were the walking dead. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, we were like zombies. Uh, we were physically alive. We were breathing. Our heart was beating. But spiritually, our condition was we were zombies. We were dead. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is what? It's death. Let me illustrate it this way. It's, it's like a cell phone. You know, you, you plug this cell phone into a power source and, and it puts life into it. And you know, you get charged up to, you know, 100%. You're ready to go for the day. It's a good day when you can make it through the entire day and not to hook, have to hook back up to the power source. That's a good day, amen? Most of us can't do that, but some can. And so, you know, you, you're plugged into that power source and this thing is alive. You unplug it from the power source and, and your phone will live for a while. But it's gradually going to die. If you don't plug it back into the power source, it eventually is going to die until it's plugged back into the power source. Well, God gave us life. He gave us breath. He made our hearts beat. He brought us into this life. But we, because of our sin, we were disconnected from the power source. And even though we were alive, we were dying little by little every day. And if you don't at some point allow Jesus to save you and rescue you and get plugged back into this power source, God, you're going to die. Not only physically, but spiritually. It's the same like our, like our cell phones. We have to be plugged in. We have to be saved. We have to be rescued. And, and the person without Jesus, Paul doesn't say the person without Jesus is sick. He says he's dead. People that don't have Christ 
don't need a resuscitation. They need a resurrection spiritually. And that's what one thing we've been saved from. We've been saved from death. Can I have an amen, Christians? We were dead, but we were brought to life when we accepted Christ. Here's something else Paul tells us that we were saved from. Not only were we saved from death, but we were saved from disobedience. We were saved from a life of disobedience. Paul goes on to say, before you received Christ, it was a time in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You just kind of went the way of the world. According to the prince and power of the air, that's Satan. The spirit who now works in the sons of who? Sons of who? Say it, church. Sons of disobedience. We were saved from death. We were saved from a life of disobedience. You see, the world's way always wants to go opposite of the way of God. It wants to be disobedient. Paul calls it the course of this world. If you've ever played a golf course, you know you go from one hole to another to another, and, and Satan has a course that he wants everyone's life to follow, and that course may be fun for a while, but in the end, it, there's danger. There's devastation. There's destruction. There's, there's death. It, it's like you're getting into this rapidly flowing river. And you're going downstream. You know, we have plenty of these here in, in Colorado. One of the, my wife's favorite activities is to go whitewater rafting. And I remember one time we were on this whitewater rafting trip here in Colorado. And we were going down the river. And we, it was getting toward the end. And I said to the guide, I said, well, what if we stayed on and we went, you know, another mile or two? What if we went downstream? We just kept going down this flowing river that was taking us downstream. And he said, oh, you wouldn't want to do that because a little bit further downstream would be death. You would die, it would be devastating, it would be destructive because nobody can, can you know, transverse through those waters, it would be death. And I got to thinking, you know, that's the course of this world that all of us are part of before we come to Christ. We may be having fun for a while, but if we stay in the course of this world and we don't ever get rescued by Jesus and saved by Jesus, in the end there's going to be destruction, there's going to be devastation. That's where the world is headed. And, and the Bible tells us, Paul's saying here, we were all born in the middle of that river of disobedience, headed downstream for destruction until Jesus rescued us, until Jesus stepped in and saved us. You know, we, and, and it, we come by it naturally. We, like I said, we were born in the middle of that river. You parents understand this. Parents, do you have to teach your children to be disobedient? Or do they come by it naturally? I mean, they come by it naturally. We're born in the river of disobedience. I mean, you thought you had, you know, a, a new baby boy or new baby girl. You just had a small terrorist come into your life. That's all. And they declare war all the time. And they throw things and objects at you. You know, people some people say, oh, babies are so amazing. That's because you don't have one. Or it's been a long time since you've had one. Now you have grandchildren. You get to send them back home. That's, that's different. That's how we were spiritually before we were rescued and we were saved. We were in the middle of this river of dis disobedience headed for disaster before Jesus saved us. So what have we been saved from? We've been saved from death. We've been saved from disobedience. We've been saved from something else called depravity. We've been saved by, from depravity. Look at what Paul says in verse 3, talking about our past before Christ rescued us. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. How many of us were this way before Christ? All of us. We all once conducted ourselves. How did we conduct ourselves? How did we live our lives? In the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Theologians call this depravity or being depraved. It means before Jesus rescued us, we just went the way of our flesh. 
our sinful desires that we were born with. Depravity means no desire for God, no, no desire for morality. We just wanted to do whatever we wanted to do. Our old nature, that flesh is our old sinful nature that wanted to take us downstream, that wanted to keep us in that river of destruction. Paul describes it here as we, we wanted to fulfill our, our fleshly desires, the desires of our mind. That's kind of the attitude, if it feels good, do it, which is the attitude of people that don't know Christ. You know, if it feels good, do it, if it doesn't hurt anybody. But when you accept Christ, listen, you don't become a better you, you become a new you. You get God's nature. He puts his spirit, his nature in you. It's a new nature. And he also gives you a new mind. In the past, we fulfilled the desires of our mind, whatever we thought was best. But when we accept Christ and he rescues us, he gives us the mind of Christ, a new mind. It works this way. How many of you, after you accepted Christ, you began to think differently about things and about life? Yeah. You, you thought differently. You know, things that used to be okay, now you go, that's not okay. Things that used to be fun, you go, that's oh, not that's not supposed to be fun. That's not supposed to be right. You, you think differently about the world. Your worldview changes. Your thought process changes. You, you think the way God thinks. And what, what does the Bible say? And you get a new mind. And so what have we been saved from by Jesus? What have we been rescued from? I'm saved. Saved from what? I'm saved from death. I'm saved from disobedience. I'm saved from depravity. And here's something else. You may not realize it. And a lot of churches don't like to talk about this. But when you study the Bible the way we do here at Orchard, where you go verse by verse, you talk about the things God wants you to talk about. And here's the next one. We're, we were saved from doom. We were saved from doom. Look at what Paul says in the second part of verse 3. He says, and we were in the past by nature children of, what's the next word? Wrath. We were by nature children of wrath just as others or just like everybody else before they were rescued and saved by Jesus. Now that's a scary word, wrath. We don't like to use that word. A lot of churches don't use that word wrath anymore, but do you know that you find that word wrath, God's wrath, over 600 times in the Bible? It's not a few times, it's many times. The wrath of God. We were headed without Christ toward the wrath of God. Now you say, well, you know, Doug, are you just trying to scare the hell out of us? Yes, yes. And so was Paul. That's where we were headed before Jesus saved us, before Jesus rescued us. You see, you can either accept his grace and his love and his mercy today, or you can face his wrath because of your sin in the future. Or you can accept that Jesus took God's wrath for us on the cross. Understanding the wrath of God is important because it brings a sense of urgency and appreciation to our Christian life. You see, when you really believe what the Bible says, that if we don't allow Jesus to save us and rescue us and forgive us from our sins, that one day we're going to face the wrath of God, that brings a sense of urgency, doesn't it? To say, I need to get right with Jesus. I need to have my sins forgiven. I don't want to face the wrath of God. I don't need to face the wrath of God. I want to accept his love, grace, and mercy. And it brings a sense of urgency to people's lives and a decision that needs to be made. But it also brings a great sense of appreciation to those of us who have been rescued and those of us who have been saved, that we've been saved from death, we've been saved from disobedience, we've been saved from depravity, and we've been saved from doom. We were headed for destruction, we were headed to face the wrath of God, but praise God, Jesus stepped in and he reached out his hand and he saved us and he rescued us. Man, that's something to thank God for this morning, amen? You, some people say, well, it's not very loving to tell people about hell and God's wrath and what I would say is it's the most loving thing to do is to tell people 
about where they're headed until they're saved. Understanding that the Bible says that people without Christ are floating downstream and there is danger ahead. There is destruction. There is devastation. There is God's wrath. There is separation from God for all eternity. You need to be saved. And thank God there is a Savior. And His name is Jesus. So what have we been saved from? We've been saved from death, disobedience, depravity, and doom. Paul describes in the first four verses, this is how we all were and what we were facing. This is what we've been saved from. We were dead, we were disobedient, we were depraved and doomed. And then look at verse four. Just look at the first two words. That's what we were all facing. Then let's say the next two verses together in verse four. But God. Those are two of the best words in the Bible. But God. But God changes everything. When he steps in our life, and reaches out his hand to rescue us. And he saves us. So we've seen what we've been saved from. Now Paul's going to tell us in verse 4 through 9 what we've been saved by. What have we been saved by? Now this is the age old question. How do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? How do you have eternal life? Here's what some average people on the street, how they answered that question. How does a person get to heaven? A person dies and goes to heaven. This world, nobody's going to heaven. I don't know, never really thought about it. How does a person get to heaven? I would like to think it's because they're a decent human being. How does a person get to heaven? Not the way I'm getting there, that's for sure. <laughs> that's a tough one, I don't know. Hopefully doing the right things. To heaven? Not, not the good old way of the purgatory. These days it's like good deeds. You know, the easy answer is be a good Christian because I'm Christian. You could be a good Jew. You could be a good person of Islamic faith. doesn't matter. How does a person get to heaven? Through the front door. Who opens that front door? Who's ever guarding Heaven's Gate at the time that you arrive? You go right through the front door if they let you in, and if they don't let you in, turn your way and you try another day. they don't let you in, you try another day. I'm not sure that's exactly how it works. <laughs> and did you notice the answer of the average people? How do you get to heaven? Do something good, good works, be good, be good, do something. Is that what we're saved by or is it something else? Aren't you glad that we have God's word that tells us how to get into his heaven? We don't have to guess at this. We don't have to wonder at this. Paul, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it's so clear there, I mean, there's no way you can miss this. Watch what Paul says. He says, here's what you've been saved from. Now let me tell you what you've been saved by. You've been saved, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us, what church? Alive together with Christ. And then he tells us what we're saved by. By what church? By grace. The unmerited favor of God. By grace you have been saved. Can it be any clearer than that? Just to make sure we don't miss it, Paul goes on. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what this verse right here is saying, verse 6? He's, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's saving a seat for you at the table in heaven. Have you ever had somebody, you know, you're going to meet them at a restaurant or a movie theater, and you say, hey, save me a seat. I don't want to miss it. Save me a seat. Jesus, for those who are saved, who have been rescued by Jesus, he is saving you a seat in heaven. Amen? 
He is say, and he's done this by his grace. In verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Just pour out his grace on us in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And here it is again. What are we saved by? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not any works that you do. It is the gift of God. And then just to be really clear, he says, not of works. You know what not of works means in the original Greek language? Not of works. He keeps saying, you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift. Oh, by the way, it's not of works. And then he adds this, lest anyone should boast. See, Paul understood and God understands that if we could save ourselves and it's something that we could do, number one, we wouldn't need a savior and Jesus wouldn't need to have come to this earth. And number two, we would get to heaven and we would all go around boasting about how quick we got there. Well, I got here in a week. How long did it take you? Oh, six months. Oh, you know, we, and then it would be about us and what we did and our glory instead of about Jesus and what he did in his glory, which is what it's about. We are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It blows me away that 98% of all religions teach some kind of works for salvation when the Bible says something completely opposite. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is our sin that separates us from that relationship with God, and it's because of our sin that we need a Savior. And, And our sin causes us to fall short of God, and there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap. It's, it's kind of like this, if somebody was going to, if they said there's going to be a bomb that's going to hit the continental United States and the only way to be saved is you've got to swim to Hawaii. We don't have enough planes to get everybody there, so get ready. And then on this day, we're all going to you know, go to California and we're going to try to swim from here to Hawaii to save ourselves. Well, some people are in better shape than others, some are better swimmers than others, and some will swim further than others. Some may get way out there, maybe even 100, 150 miles. You know, it was that one lady swam from like Cuba to Florida. But it's like 1,000 miles plus to Hawaii. Some will get further than others, but everyone will die. Everyone will perish. Nobody's going to make it on their own. The same is true of salvation. Nobody gets to God on their own. That's why God sent his son graciously, Jesus, to die for us, to do what we could not do for ourselves. It's a gift. You know, how many of y'all like gifts? You like gifts? You like giving gifts? That's good, because Christmas is coming up. And we like giving gifts, and we give gifts to people we love, we care about, we want, we want to show appreciation and love for them, and, and when we give them a, a gift. And I, I've got a gift I want to give to someone this, this morning. Who likes Starbucks? Anybody like Starbucks? Right here, right up front. Christian, you're right here. Come up here, Christian. Come right here to the stage, right? See, this is a reward for sitting close to the stage on Sunday morning at church. So I graciously went out and I purchased this gift card. All right, it does have money on it, by the way, for Starbucks. And I bought this and I provided this. And, and I care about you, uh, Christian, I love you. And so I would like you to have this gift, all right? But what do you have to do to make this gift your own that I'm offering you? No, no, no. You don't have to bow down. I'm, I'm wanting you to have it. What do you have to do? Thank you. No, you got to do more than just say thank you. What do you got to do? Accept it. You have to accept it, which means you got to take it. There you go. Give her a hand. Good job. That's the same way we receive salvation. That's how we're rescued by Jesus. He graciously has paid the price by sending his son. Jesus died on the cross for us. He paid the price. He offers it graciously to us, but we have to receive it. We have to take it. How do we take it? What did Paul say? By faith. You're saved 
By grace through faith. It's our faith. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. That's how we take and we receive the gift of salvation. You know, tonight, this is one of my favorite communions of the year that we have here at Orchard Church. Five o'clock tonight. I hope you guys will come back for it. And yes, you will be home in time for the kickoff. I know that's important, but communion's more important. We're doing that at five o'clock tonight. And I love it. We do it this every year on this Sunday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Because what we're doing tonight when we partake in communion is we're recognizing and we're thanking God that we are saved by grace through faith. That we were dead, we were disobedient, we were depraved, we were doomed. But God graciously, in his mercy and love, sent his son Jesus to pay for our sins. We recognize tonight his body and his blood, the only thing that can save us. And that is the gift he gave to all of us. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation, listen, salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. It's not a reward. It's a gift. We are saved by grace through faith. So Paul helps us answer these questions. I am saved. Great. I am saved from what? I am saved by what? And then he answers one more. Saved for what? What are we saved for? Throughout this series so far, we've, we've said our identity should affect our activity. We're learning about our identity in Christ. You know, we've learned that I am appreciated. We learned today, you know, I, I am saved. We're, we're learning these things uh, about our identity in Christ, but it ought to affect our life, our activity. Our identity day is I am saved. Well, then the question is saved for what? What activity should change in our life? How many of you realize since you got saved and you accepted Christ, you still have a few years left down here on this earth? How many of y'all realize you didn't just go straight to heaven the day you got saved? Okay, look around, you're still here. Well, you're here for a reason. God saved you for something. So look at this. Verse 10, Paul tells us what we're saved for. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for what? Good works. Everybody say good works. We're saved for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now did some of your minds just get blown? Because for nine verses Paul is saying no works, no works, no works, no works. You're not saved by works. The verse 10 he's like good works. What? What, what, what is, Paul, you're, you're confusing us here. What, what, are you, what are you saying? You're saying we're not saved by works, we're not saved by works, and all of a sudden you're, you say we're saved for works. You see, you must get works in the right order. There's something to works, but you've got to put them in the right order. It's Jesus' work that saves us. But then once he saves us, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by his finished work. But once Jesus' work saves us, then he works in us so he can work through us. He has a plan and purpose for all of our lives. He has a plan and purpose for your life. And your life counts. That's what Paul says here, that God prepared some good works that you should walk in them. He's, he's prepared them beforehand. What are these good works that he's prepared? And they don't save us. John Calvin, the theologian, said it this way. It is faith alone that saves, but faith that saves can never be alone. We are not saved by faith plus good works, but by faith that works. It's what James said in James 2, 17. Faith without works is dead. If it's true, genuine, life-saving faith from Jesus, the works didn't save you, but now that you're saved, there will be good works that are evidence of your salvation. If that makes sense, say yes. See, we're saved for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. You see, good works are not the root of our faith. They're the fruit of our faith. Good works don't bring you into a relationship with Jesus, but they flow out of your relationship with Jesus. So what are these good works that we're saved for? 
Well, there's some obvious ones. I mean, I think you guys can get these if you've ever been in church. You know, what are some good works that Jesus expects once we're saved that we're supposed to do and be evident? Well, I think we would say prayer is one, talking to Jesus, uh, reading his word, him talking to us. That's how we communicate back and forth with, with, with God is through the word of God and prayer. Um, we would say worship is certainly a good work that we should do. Making disciples, that's what our church is all about, making disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do, sharing our faith, being a witness to others. Uh, coming to church is a good work, good job. You guys did a good work this morning. Hope you'll do another one at 5 o'clock today. Serving in the church, serving other people is a good work. Tithing, giving, obeying uh, God's commands, those are all good works. Those are the obvious ones, but there's more to it than that. And this one might surprise you. Paul said, and said it this way, help us understand what good works are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul said, So whether you eat or drink or, what's the next word? Whatever, whatever you do, in the original Greek, the word whatever, guess what it means? Yeah, you guys are picking up on this. It means whatever. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The, anything that you do in your life that God has called you to, however he's equipped you, wherever he's positioned you, whatever he's called, wherever it is in your life, do good works that please God, that line up with his word. I, I think sometimes we think that God has like the varsity team and the JV team. You know, not everybody's on the varsity. You know, like, well, you know, if you're a pastor, missionary, evangelist, you're on the varsity team, everybody else is, no. We're all on the same team. We're all in the same family. We all came in the same way. We've all been saved the same way. And God expects the same good works out of all of us. If you're a Christian mom, be the best Christian mom you can be. That's a good work. If you're a Christian dad, be the best Christian dad you can be. That's a good work. Be the best Christian husband, the best Christian wife, the best Christian teacher, manager, employee, realtor, banker, healthcare worker. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's a good work. I had something that blessed my heart this week. I was on Facebook and I saw that one of the long-standing members of Orchard Church, they've been with us uh, many years, uh, Yvette Martinez, she actually attended the first service this morning. She was just awarded by the Brighton Chamber of Commerce, the Outstanding Citizen of the Year for Brighton. Right here, a member of our church. Can we celebrate that? Is that awesome or what? That is a good work. And I talked to Yvette afterwards. She was kind of embarrassed that I said that. But she goes, it's all to the glory of God. It's all so I can be a witness for him. She gets it. J Jesus said it this way. What, why is it important we do good works? You see, because here's the deal. It's not that God needs to see our good works. Because God's not impressed by our good works. There's only good, one good work that took place. That was when Jesus died. Then why do we need to do good works? Jesus said it this way. Let your light so shine before men before others, so that they may see your good works. Why do they need to see our good works? And then they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You see, our good works, when people see our good works, you get to tell them about the one who's working in you and through you, the one who saved you, the one who rescued you, the one that makes you a good Christian mom, the one that makes you a good Christian dad, that makes you a good Christian worker, that makes you a good Christian citizen. You say, well, man, why do you do all those things? Why are you that way? It's because of Jesus. I'd love to tell you about him. I'd love to tell you about my rescuer. I'd love to tell you about the one that saved me. You know, people ought to look at Christian marriages and say, you know, I, I don't know what it is you guys have. Your marriage just seems so awesome. I don't know what you have, but I'd like to know. And you can tell them the secret. It's because of Jesus in our life. You know, what is it about your family? There's something special about your family. Well, it's because of Jesus 
is the center of our home. Jesus saved us. Jesus rescued us. We follow his word, and he's made a difference in our life. We'd love to introduce you to him. You know, you handle your finances differently. What is it? Well, it's because of God. It's because of Jesus and his word. You know, when, when you go through difficulties, I've seen you go through some difficulties in your life and your family, but you seem to have such a strong faith. You don't give up. You seem to have so much hope. Well, what is that? Oh, it's, it's a person. It's my best friend. It's my savior. His name is Jesus. And I'd love to tell you about him. I'd love to introduce you to him. You have a joy that people don't seem to have. You seem to, you know, even when you're having a bad day, you don't have a bad day. What, what is it? Where does that come from? That Well, it comes from Jesus. You see how that works, church? Say yes. That we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. But once we're saved, good works ought to flow out of our relationship with Christ. Other people see that, and we have an opportunity then to lead them to Christ and see them be saved. I want to close with... Uh, a story that was in the September 11th, 2002 issue of Time Magazine on the one-year anniversary of 9-11. And it's a story about a 31-year-old named Janelle Guzman. And the story read like this in Time Magazine. Janelle was the last of just four people caught in the debris of the Twin Towers to be found alive. After the planes hit the World Trade Center, Janelle was descending a staircase from the 64th floor of the North Tower when it collapsed, but somehow her body found an air pocket among the rubble. Her right leg was pinned underneath heavy concrete pillars. Her head was caught between stacks of wreckage, but somehow she was still alive. For 27 hours, Janelle Guzman lay trapped and seriously injured, helpless, hopeless, and alone. In recent months before the attacks, Janelle had started attending the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. They're known for their choir. And wanted to get her life turned around and straightened out. So while she was stuck in the rubble, she started to pray, God, save me. She trailed off to sleep, and when she would wake back up, she would pray some more, the same prayer. God, save me. God, save me. Shortly after noon on Wednesday the 12th, after 27 hours, she heard voices. So she screamed as loud as she could, hey, I'm right here. A rescue worker responded, do you see the light? She did not. She took a piece of concrete and banged it against a broken stairway overhead. The searchers found the noise. Janelle wedged her hand through a crack in the wall and felt in someone's hand and grabbed it. And she heard a voice say, I've got you. And Janelle Guzman said, oh God, thank you. I am saved. That is a beautiful picture of our lives before Christ. Whether we realized it or not, we were under a rubble of destruction and death, headed for devastation. And God in his mercy and love reached down and he found us and he reached out his hand and said, I'm here, just take my hand and I will save you. Because he alone can rescue, he alone can save. Are you thankful for Jesus this morning, church? Let's just thank God for Jesus and what he's done. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? heads bowed and eyes closed I know many of you here this morning you are saved you remember when Jesus saved you you remember when Jesus rescued you I hope this morning Paul has brought a greater appreciation to your life from his word what he saved you from death disobedience depravity and doom and you'll thank him for that maybe you didn't realize all you've been saved from I hope you do now you've, re you, you've been reminded once again what you've been saved by by grace accepted by faith but I hope you'll also be reminded this morning Christians that he saved you for something he saved you for good works that other people would see it and you could introduce them to Christ and I want to just ask all the believers here this morning you, you know that you're saved 
Is there some good works in your life that you know you need to be doing that maybe you're not? And you would just say this morning, you know what, I realized I want to thank God what I'm saved for and by, but I also want to make sure that I, I live out what I'm saved for. There, yeah, there's some things in my life that I know I could do better to please the Lord and to be a better witness of my faith. Would you slip up your hand for prayer if that's you all across the auditorium? Yes, I, there's some things I'm saved for I need to pay attention to. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands in every section. Let me pray for you. Lord, I, I pray for all of us as believers who've been saved. First, we thank you, we praise you that you've saved us by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not any work we could perform. It's nothing we can boast about. We boast in one thing and that is in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to pay for our sins and may we never take that for granted and Lord we praise you we thank you for what we've been saved from and what we've been saved by and Lord I pray that we'd also be reminded today of what we're saved for to do good works to live a life that brings honor and glory to you that other people might see it and that they might be drawn to our relationship that we have with you and that they through the light that we shine would be brought to your light and salvation and be rescued and Lord, we'd look for opportunities to share our faith that are around us all the time, realizing there are people floating downstream, headed for destruction, that we would point them to Jesus, to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you came today and you say, what do I need to be saved from? I, I, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that I was facing death and disobedience and depravity and doom and I don't want to face that I don't want to face God's wrath the good news is you don't have to that's why Jesus came today he, he offers you love he offers you grace he offers you mercy and I want to ask you every one of you this morning the most important question you'll ever be asked and it's simply this are you saved are you saved by Jesus have you been rescued maybe some of you like so many people in that video, you're relying on your works. You're relying on your good deeds. Paul couldn't have been any clearer in Ephesians 2. You're, we're not saved by anything we do or don't do. We're saved by what Jesus did. And if you're ready this morning to say, I'm ready to get out of the river that's headed to danger and destruction. I'm ready to get out of the rubble that I'm under spiritually. I'm ready to accept God's offer of salvation. I'm ready to take Jesus by the hand today I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray right now where you sit and you can invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior this morning it's a prayer I prayed when I was eight years old that I've never regretted it's a prayer that many people in this room have prayed and they would go back and say that's when Jesus saved me now listen it's not the prayer you pray it's it's not some magic words you say Paul said we're saved by grace through faith it's the faith in the prayer it's the faith behind the prayer it's what you believe in your heart and if you're ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus today and take him by the hand would you pray this prayer with me to Jesus in faith Jesus I believe in you I believe you died on the cross for me that you gave your body and your blood to pay for my sins I today accept you by faith as my personal Lord and Savior. I accept you by faith. And I thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, 
for reaching out to me. Thank you for saving me and rescuing me from impending doom. Thank you, Jesus. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the very first time, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want to personally pray for you right now as you grow in your walk with the Lord from this day forward. And I want to thank Jesus for your decision. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. If you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, if Jesus rescued you today, would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Several hands. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. Thank you. Yes, a young person. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. Put it down. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? I prayed it. I meant it. I wanted Jesus to rescue me today, and I want to thank him. Anyone else? Several hands, several hands. Thank you. Let's pray for those people together. Lord, I, I thank you and rejoice and celebrate with the angels in heaven where the Bible says a party is broken out right now when someone accepts Christ, when someone is rescued by Jesus and saved. And we, we celebrate together as a church and as a church family. We welcome them with open arms into the family of God. They now have brothers and sisters in Christ sitting all around them this morning. We, we pray that we would meet them right where they are with the same grace and mercy and love that you offer and that you meet them with. We pray that we'd help take them by the spiritual hand and help them to grow in their relationship with you, Lord, that we'd help them grow to maturity and we would help disciple them. And Lord, we thank you for their decision. And, and Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you saved us, that you alone can rescue, you alone can save. May we never take it for granted. May we come to communion tonight excited to celebrate and to remember your body and blood that you gave to save and rescue us. What a timely message for today and for communion tonight. And we love you and we praise you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning? Let's celebrate those right now.